KG, and this is not safe for networks. Kentucky skies. I'm Biggs, and I'm Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Doing all right. Yeah, I uh, I shouldn't have talked about the mansion last week because I got my bank account raided <laughs> by a debtor. So we're not going to be talking about Biggs's finances anymore. <laughs> yeah. Although I am super poor, which I think I said last week. So. Definitely holds true this week, more truer than it did last week. But uh, got a couple of reviews to to throw out first off. So, um, oh, did you have something? Oh, I just uh, wanted to give a quick RIP to Warren Miller passed away last week. Now, who's Warren Miller? He did all the, uh, I wouldn't call him documentary, but like uh, ski movies. Like just Warren Miller presents and it's just like a ski movie, like people doing tricks and shit for okay. like an hour and a half. Okay. I don't think I ever saw any of these. <laughs> it's one of those things is like being in Montana, you see it quite a bit. Cause like, especially when I was living down in Bozeman, cause he, uh, lived half the year in big sky and then half the year out in Washington at Orca Island, I believe and he started producing movies uh, i would say late 90s and you know they were all like uh people doing like i said ski tricks and stuff uh-huh i didn't realize how old he was how old is he he died at 93 wow it's still skiing <laughs> still skiing like so that's like i i thought he was like 50s maybe like no idea like so he started producing ski movies in his 70s wow that's (laughs) impressive (laughs) well uh i'm gonna start talking about something that has nothing to do with that which is uh three billboards outside ebbing missouri just said i'd review this week so made it a point to to see it um so I saw why this movie's problematic, why a lot of people were seeing it. Um, I feel conflicted about the movie because I did enjoy the movie. I thought the performances were really good. Uh, Francis McDermott, Woody Harrelson, and Sam Rockwell are all up for Oscars this year uh, for stuff that they did in this movie. And they're all great. Like, they do a really good job. So no problems there. I thought the direction was really good. It's really the writing that I have a problem with, which is why I'm not like thrilled that it's up for a writing Oscar. I think it's up for a writing Oscar. And if I remember, it's a editing Oscar. Yeah. I mean, it's edited pretty good, I guess. Uh, see, I've heard, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard otherwise like people. I mean, it's, 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 it's fine. It's just typical movie editing. It's nothing flashy, you know, but, um, I so essentially what this movie is about is uh 
Francis McDermott plays a character. None of the character names sunk in to me. So, um, but basically, she plays a character who her daughter is like was murdered, and as she was dying, she was raped. And so, it's been a year, and nothing's been solved. Like for something like seven months, just there was the police department weren't getting a hold of her. And so she buys three billboards or like the ad space on three billboards that hadn't been used since the eighties and puts up a sign that basically says, uh, that says like her daughter was, uh, raped while dying. And then the second billboard says, uh, like not basically no, no leads, no, nobody's been convicted. And then ask Sheriff Willerby, I think his name is or something like that. Why? And, uh, <clears throat> so Woody Harrelson plays a sheriff who's dying of cancer and is having to deal with this. And essentially what it comes down to is they just, they have no leads. They have no DNA, no witnesses. And so like, he just, they're not even really like pursuing the case because there's not like they've just, it's a cold case at that point They they have nothing to go off of. And so she's living with a lot of hate, like dealing with this. Um, at the same time, Sam Rockwell is playing and like a, a cop. I want to say it's a deputy, but I don't, I don't know that it's a deputy. I don't think they really say, but um, he's playing a cop who has a history of like torturing black inmates while they're in the holding cell. Um, he's just a hothead, like hot-headed, like has a lot of problems, and just doesn't really think before he acts. And he's also filled with a lot of hate. And at the same time, you have Woody Harrelson, who's like trying to make basically trying to find peace before he goes and he knows he's going to die like he's terminal and so like it's really interesting watching how they intersect and like sam rockwell just at every turn his character is just doing the wrong thing until the end and um it's it's interesting because it really talks about how so, like an incident can really like cause tragedy in how people inflicted like people who are involved in it also cause more tragedy because of their pain and so like in that sense it's well written but there's also the thing of like Sam Rockwell's character he's given a bit of a redemptive arc at the end but he doesn't ever he doesn't make up for anything that he's done really with with like in terms of like torturing the black people or anything like that and there's black characters in it but like that there's a um when the sheriff dies there's like a a black guy who takes over but there's no there's no reconciliation for it so it's like you can kind of understand in this climate why that would be a bit of a tone deaf nomination because we're living in a time where People are just, you know, run roughshod by the police all the time, especially minorities. And uh, it's just to sort of like present them as any kind of redemptive arc or hero without dealing with that. When it's a big part at the beginning, they talk about it a lot. It's just 
it's a it's a loose ends that really needed to be tied up so i really like if this wins best picture it's it's going to be controversial it's going to be controversial for a really good reason but it seems like sam rockwell is well on his way to getting a best supporting actor and he does great like he absolutely deserves it but that's going to be another one that's going to be really controversial if you look at it because of the nature of his character so but once again in terms of acting they do a really good job throughout it um i uh I, I was really impressed like woody harrelson just fucking holds it down and he deserves this nomination too he's not getting talked about nearly as much as sam rockwell but i actually thought he was better than sam rockwell in this movie because he actually is a character that um he's going through a lot and he has sympathy for for the victim and it's not tone deaf at all but he's also dealing with his own stuff and it's it's an interesting movie but it's definitely like a dark movie it's probably the darkest of all the movies i've seen that are up for best picture and it doesn't end uplifting by any sense like it, it uh carries out the thesis that's really that's really brought up in the beginning of the movie so i, I don't want to like spoil the end but it's worth watching but in terms of winning awards i think they would be better to sidestep a lot of these but I get a feeling there's going to be a few Oscars handed out for it. So, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I also saw The Shape of Water, which is also up. I think it nabbed the most nominations of any movie. Yes. Um, and this one, I really enjoyed. So, it's also up for a writing Oscar, which I don't understand because there's some fun stuff in it, but it's essentially like an adult fairy tale. I don't know any other way to put it. Like, I can tell you the plot right now, and you've seen this plot play out like a thousand times before in movies. It's essentially there's a creature that's captured, and this woman falls in love with it, and the, like the, the American government is going to like kill it and dissect it for like military reasons. Like, you've heard this plot a million times before, right? And they're talking about how it's, like, somebody... This is part of an Oscar smear campaign, I think. But they're bringing up that um, they think it was ripped off from this movie that uh, where this woman, like, falls in love with a dolphin that's in cap... Uh, yeah. Uh, that's been captured. And uh, I would just say, like, this is an old plot. Like, it's not... I don't think they ripped off anything. It's just like it, it is like a genre of plot already. Like it's definitely like a fairy tale. So, but there's a lot of interesting things. Richard Jenkins is up for an Oscar for this one. Um, so you know who Richard Jenkins is, but you might not know it by the name. But do you ever see Six Feet Under? He's like the father and Six Feet Under, the ghost dad throughout it. He's in uh, Cabin in the Woods. There's the two suits. There's a. Uh, Bradley Whitford, who is on, um, like, he was in Get Out. Yeah. Okay, and then there's the other guy who's bald, and he's in, like, a bunch of Farley Brother movies, too. Yeah. Like, okay, so he he plays an elderly gay man who's, um, this all takes place during the 50s, and he's kind of the protagonist's best friend, and he's just depressed because he can't find anybody to love, and he's like he's getting older and he's losing his hair and he's like he's just he can tell that he's getting older and so he's really bummed out about it 
uh, Michael Shannon plays like the the really cold guy who works for the the government who's captured this creature. There's like an interesting thing going on with hands in this movie because the lady who's the main character, um, she is mute. She had her vocal cords cut when she was young from some abusive thing. We don't really find out what happened, but some kind of abusive thing. And so she can hear everything, but she has to communicate through sign language. So she can only communicate through signs. And one of the way that she becomes attracted to the creature is like the creature starts talking back to her through signs. Like he starts learning sign language through her. Um, and then you have like the scene with Michael Shannon where he's sort of being introduced to the, to the, um, to the lady who's a janitor and he goes in the bathroom and he washes his hands as soon as he walks in and then he just takes a piss <laughs> and then he doesn't wash his hands afterwards. And he's like, that's a waste of time. You can tell a lot about a person by how, how often they wash their hands or when they wash their hands and stuff. And to me, I read it as like, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Just true. Like he just tortures this creature. Like he will destroy anybody in his way to get what he wants, no matter what he wants, you know, like he, He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And so eventually they capture the creature and bring it back to her apartment. And uh, there's like a scene where there's this this cat and it needs to be on a high protein diet. And so it eats a cat. And Richard Jenkins sees it and kind of like grabs it out of fear. And so it like cuts his hand like out of fear and that just sort of returns the action to him but then later it like touches him when he's like looking caring and, and forgiving him and stuff and it like touches his hand and it winds up like healing his hand through his touch so like the way that i sort of read it is like michael shannon gets his hands dirty right like she communicates through his hands and the creature's hands are basically a reflection of the people around it is sort of how i read it like Richard Jenkins is afraid, so it, like, hurts him with his hands, but then later heals him when he's trying to, like, understand the creature and, and uh, communicate with it. And it touches his head and starts healing. Like, his hair starts to come back <laughs> when he touches. Like, it's stuff like that. Uh, but I just, I found that really interesting. Um, it's just a really well-done movie. There's, like, some really cool shots where it'll do these really large sweeping shots through places so you can kind of get a feel of what the room's like and it'll it'll like start on like a lunch that the girl brings in and then it'll like zoom out and sort of do a sweeping thing around the facility like they have a part where they, they kind of show her apartment show a routine and they sweep around the apartment and then it like goes down through some floorboards and shows a movie that's playing which like movies play a really big part in this movie because it they're, they love song and dance movies. And so they're always her and uh, Richard Jenkins characters are always doing these little tap dance numbers and stuff in their apartment. And so it's just like at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a feel good movie. Really? I mean, it's just, it's just a movie that kind of it's visually entertaining and it grabs you by the feels a lot. Uh, so I, I really recommend that one. Like check, check out shape of water. I have, reservations about three billboards but i really enjoyed shape of water so i would say check that one out for sure it's basically the creature of the black lagoon if there was fucking 
<laughs> Dirt fucking. <laughs> it's a crude way to put it, but it's true. <laughs> uh, so moving on. So Crocodile Dundee, the new movie. Yeah. Almost definitely fake. <laughs> yeah, it's because there's been articles I've read, like, actually saying stuff. Basically, what they're going to do is they're making it into a short movie, like a short film. Basically, it's a Australian tourism propaganda. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's an Australian tour um, or like visit Australia campaign, basically yeah. that they're that they're using. But yeah, they they showed another longer trailer that has I think like Russell Crowe in it playing somebody, and they have Hugh Jackman playing the uh, the Prime Minister of Australia. <laughs> it just goes like. Uh, Oh, what's her name? Like Isa Fisher, I think is her name, something like that. But she's in it just like every Australian actor who's famous is in this somewhere. Yeah. it's <laughs> Yeah. You know, like it's sad because there's a part of me that really wants this to actually happen. Yeah, but I know it's not. No, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a, a big Super Bowl ad, too. So, yeah. Yeah. So nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> also turns out Steve Rogers, real guy, but real guy who directs Nike commercials. So there you go. <laughs> they got a commercial director to do it. So almost definitely fake. Um, there's so I was going to jump on since we're talking about Super Bowl real quick. Got the bug. Bug fly in your mouth? Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens when you fly around the apartment. <laughs> Yeah. So Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday, and I uh, really don't care about the game so much. No, I don't either. <laughs> but there's been some. Uh, what I find interesting is pop prop bets that are going around right now. Those are always fun. Did you grab the uh, the singing halftime show one? That's that's one me and Brandon would always wager on every year. The over under. No, these are way more bizarre than that. Okay. <laughs> Give us some examples here. All right. Let's see. We've got the odds on Bill Belichick's hoodie color. (laughs) It's almost definitely going to be the gray. So they got blue, no hoodie, gray, or red. It's going to be gray. Gray's actually got a nine to two. Blue is the three to two. Yeah. I think it's going to be gray. Yeah. I usually see him with the gray hoodie. Let's see. We've got odds of a, a fan throws blank on the field. <laughs> we have the odds for each blank. Yeah. All right. What do they? So got? we got a beer cup three to one, uh, article of clothing four to one, uneaten food five to one, a seat cushion fourteen to one, deflated football forty to one. <laughs> that would be great. And dildo at fifty to one. that would be my favorite but it'll never get airtime if that happens it's happened twice in the last year or so really mostly or i think they've both been uh during bills games (laughs) and so they actually ended up on national tv uh let's see odds there's a brawl in the stands amongst the fans 49 to 1. Brawl on the field, 99 to 1. 
Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen too much. The over-under for number of Eagles fans arrested before the Super Bowl. <laughs> What's the over-under? One and a half. <laughs> One and a half fans arrested? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's going to happen. It may not get in the press, but... I would think so. Yeah, drunk Philly fans. You know what's crazy? Uh, Century, or uh, was it the the link, uh, the field? Century link field? Yeah, that doesn't sound quite right. I think that's where uh, the Seahawks play. Yeah. Oh, Lincoln Financial or something like that. Anyways, the link. It's in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Whatever Minnesota stadium is. But the Eagles home stadium actually has a resident judge on site during the football games. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. Odds an Eagle fan throws debris on the field, 33 to 1. An Eagle fan runs on the field during the Super Bowl, 50 to 1. Uh, power goes out in the stadium, 12 to 1. Which actually is like higher than I would thought of in, especially being a brand new stadium. It's only happened once. <laughs> the odds pe- pyrotechnic starts a fire in the stadium, 25 to 1. <laughs> uh, let's see. Justin Timberlake's performing the halftime show. So the odds Justin Timberlake will make his entrance via zip line, 2 to 1. Car five to one, motorcycle seven to one, jetpack fifteen to one, dog sled twenty to one, and parachute fifty to one. What? <laughs> there's all right. There's no way he's coming in by parachute. There's no way that like his handlers are gonna let that happen. There's no way you can do it. It's a dome field. It's a dome. Yeah. yeah there's no way that can happen. <laughs> yeah. Don't take that fifty to one. That's a bad bet. <laughs> I'm interested in the dog sled, though. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. We got odds to make guest appearances during the halftime show. We got T.I. 2 to 1, Jay-Z 5 to 1, Beyonce 6 to 1, Jimmy Fallon 6 to 1, Rihanna 15 to 1, Drake at 20 to 1, Britney Spears 22 to 1, Snoop Dogg twenty five to one, Madonna at forty to one, NSYNC at a hundred to one, and Janet Jackson two hundred to one. So, I think the only realistic ones there, in a sense, like they almost always bring up an old, like if it's a younger act like Justin Timberlake is, they're they're gonna bring on like an older act. But Madonna just did the Super Bowl a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't see that. And one. Britney Spears, that's his ex girlfriend, that's not happening. Yeah. And she's younger. Um and then Janet Jackson, there's just I I don't think There's no way the I, NFL suits are gonna let that happen again. Well, I just don't think Janet Jackson would do it at this point. Like I think she'd be like, No. Like I, I, she probably has had <laughs> to answer so many questions about the nipple thing, like just in the last month that she's probably not going to want to no do it way. at all. Yeah. Um, I think there's a really good chance Jimmy Fallon ends up um, just because they, Justin Timberlake and uh, Jimmy Fallon do a lot of shit together. And 
plus uh, NBC's broadcasting this year. So with Jimmy Fallon being on The Tonight Show, I think there's a real good chance that happens. Yeah, if he's like introducing or something, I could see that, if that counts. But yeah. in terms of like bringing him on to perform, I doubt it. <laughs> Right. They'll they'll pick they'll pick somebody older, um, like okay. So you want to get somebody with broad appeal, who um, has had like a long career. So I don't know, man. Like you, you might just because it's Justin Timberlake and it's going to be kind of a poppy thing. You might want to get like a country star in there. Like somebody like Tim McGraw or something like that. I'm not saying it'd be Tim McGraw, but somebody like that. I'm I'm willing to bet something like that is going to happen. Almost yeah. guarantee it. Yeah. So Dolly Parton. Oh yeah, there you go. There mm. should be odds on Dolly Parton coming <laughs> in. That's got to be about an eighty to one. I, I'd say it's like twenty to one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Odds there's a halftime work. Wardrobe malfunction. Zero. 49 to 1. Yeah. Pretty slim. I'm saying it's going to be zero. There's no way. Odd somebody falls off the stage during the halftime show. Six to 1. <laughs> I guess that's happened a few times now. <laughs> Odd somebody catches on fire during the halftime show. Is <laughs> 25 to 1. Pretty unlikely. Yeah. Odds a fan streaks the field. Five to one. <laughs> Only five to one. <laughs> they know Phillies in this, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And there's the rest are man, not interesting. Well, speaking of old ass shit, <laughs> CBS has like announced some of the shows that they're bringing back. Okay. They're doing, they're rebooting Magnum PI. Which I'm like, yeah, I saw that. Eh. They're rebooting Cagney and Lacey, which I don't think most people even remember Cagney and Lacey. So that seems unusual. Dude, if they are, me. they're my mom's age. Yeah. So pushing retirement. Youngest, your mom's age. Yeah. And then they're also picking up Murphy Brown for another season. So they're they're doing the Roseanne thing and just like reassembling <sighs> the cast of Murphy Brown and doing another season. I haven't even seen Candace Bergen in like 20 years. No, <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> and I couldn't name any of the other people on that show. I don't even remember, but I bet there were people on there. I could probably would recognize, but I couldn't name them off the top of my head. That show went off 20 years ago and it was like a really big show when it went off the air and it just immediately everybody forgot about it. Yeah. Like I've had, two different conversations about this in the last year just from various things coming up one of them was uh we're on that group on the turntable now and somebody put up a murphy brown like soundtrack and it was like all this really good r&b soul stuff from like the 60s and 70s and they're like does anybody know anything about this and i was like yeah i do know that show <laughs> but everybody forgot about it and it's really funny because the simpsons has this episode where um one of Marge's sisters, Selma and Patty, like it doesn't matter which one you say because they mix them up all the time. So they just don't even try and track which one is which anymore. It just switches all the time. But one of them has an iguana and they set it up like Murphy Brown having the baby. 
So they were like parodying this thing with Murphy Brown and they thought that 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 episode would hold up because Murphy Brown was such a like popular show. But they were saying this was 10 years ago. They were saying like everybody forgot about the show. Nobody like even gets the parody anymore. And then another 10 years passed since they had that conversation. So I just don't get it, man. I don't. God, the only thing I can honestly remember from Murphy Brown is I remember Dan Quayle was a guest. No, star, or no, 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 Dan Quayle. Um, so here's what happened. Cause I do, that was like the biggest moment of Murphy Brown probably was Dan Quayle when he was vice president. So we're going back to what, like, uh, HW's. we're talking somewhere between 88 to 90 or no, 89 to 93, somewhere in that range yeah. when he was vice president. But he was saying that he thought, Murphy Brown was a terrible role model for children because she was a single mother, like having a kid, like doing it on her own, which made this big controversy. Then they like took him talking about it from the speech and they put it into the show because she plays a news journalist. And so they put it into the show and couched it as if he was talking about the character Murphy Brown, you know, like, like talking about her as a journalist, you know, um, and so, like, that was when the show was at its absolute peak, probably. Yeah. Because it caused all the controversy. And so, people that weren't watching it were suddenly watching it. Like, what's this all about? Like, good move, Dan Quayle. <laughs> <laughs> Whose birthday is actually coming up on the 4th. And I know this because there's this poster up for years for 365 reasons to party. And I had a reason for every day. And I fucking hated that, like... My birthday was always, it always said Dan Quayle's birthday. And I was like, that's not a reason to party. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently CBS trying to lock down those 60 to 70 year olds. God. <laughs> Good job, CBS. A uh, little more looking back. Vince Gilligan was talking about uh, Better Call Saul. And uh, so he he was saying one of the things, if he could change in Breaking Bad, is that um, they're having a really difficult time nailing down when Saul is going to get married twice. Because apparently in Breaking Bad, he mentions he has a throwaway line for comedy that's like talking about how he has two ex-wives. So they're like trying to figure out how to do this because like they're trying to get it all to like line up perfectly with Breaking Bad. So like apparently Saul's gonna have to get married twice in this show. <laughs> God, there he's gonna have to get on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure one of them will be a scam, right? Like one of his ex-wives at least it has to be. Yeah, it has to be. But uh, Vince Gilligan was also talking about Better Call Saul, and he said uh, that they were talking about like the future moments, so that the moments that take place after Breaking Bad, where they always film them. They've done it for the first three seasons so far, where the first scene of uh, of each season is in black and white, and it shows Saul in Ohio at the um, at the, the Cinnabon. Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah, as a manager. But uh, he's saying. 
I don't want to give anything away and I can't make any hard, fast promises because we don't even know where we're going most days. But I think it's not unlikely we're going to see more stories set in Omaha, Nebraska. Certainly perhaps at the beginning of seasons and maybe even beyond that. It seems like there's a lot of story there. It'd be a shame not to get to it. So I like that. There's been a lot of speculation that eventually they might just flash forward to those scenes. And I don't think that's a bad idea. Like, it is really interesting because we know this character. And it's interesting to, like, see that to lead off the seasons and just sort of juxtapose it with where he's at coming up. But I think that that might be interesting if, like, we get a whole... Like, maybe for the last episode, it's just, like, completely him after Breaking Bad, you know? I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think that would be a great way to end the show. That'd be good. Like definitively end his arc, you know, because he has to sit there and not cause a fuss, which is not in Saul's nature at all, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Or Jimmy. (laughs) I guess his his real name is Jimmy, but that's not in his nature. So I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. But anyway, um, let's see. This is just a little throwaway thing I read, but in season three of Ash versus Evil Dead, there will be a 60 foot tall deadite at one part. So I'm interested in that. <laughs> of course there is. Yeah, it's bound to happen eventually, right? 60 feet tall. That is a big deadite, man. That's like. It's like the size of, of the Helena Hyde gym right there. The shadow monster from Stranger Things 2. <laughs> yeah. Um,. Here's another looking back thing. So Francis Lawrence, who directed I Am Legend, said this about the movie. Looking back at it now, I think that we could have just basically done the story of the novella straight up and made the same amount of money in terms of ticket sales because people went, I think, for The Last Man on Earth. They would have accepted the nihilistic ending. They would have accepted vampires instead of people with infections. We could have literally made the book, which I would have been much happier with. But you know, when you're spending that much money, you're panicking that you're making this weird little kind of art film about a guy living alone with a dog in New York and you're trying to, you know, create that spectacle. And then he was asked if he thought the the book's ending was better. And he said, it's the better ending. I mean, it's the more philosophical version at the end, but in terms of story math, we're doing everything you're not supposed to do, right? The hero doesn't find the cure, right? They drive off into the unknown and the creatures you've been saying aren't the bad ones the whole time. You learn have humanity and actually aren't the bad ones. The hero's the bad one. And so you've basically turned everything on its head. We tested it twice and it got wildly rejected. Wildly rejected, which is why we came out with the other one. So that confirmed something I was wondering for a long time. Because when I saw I Am Legend, I was really enjoying it until the end. And I was like, what the fuck? Because if you've read, have you ever read the book? No, I, I haven't. So I'm just going to give it away. Um, it's it's a novella. It's a great read. But essentially what the book is, is it's like uh, Richard Matheson is writing about like this character who's, he's in Great Britain, but he just spends his whole days like killing vampires, like all day during the daylight, fixing up his car, fixing up his house to keep him out and then at night he basically just like tries to not get caught from the vampires while they're taunting him and and things and then during the day he comes out and finds their nest and kills them during the daylight you know and uh eventually finds a woman and it turns out that the woman is actually an evolved vampire 
and he winds up getting caught, but she had like fallen in love with him. And so they're going to execute him in front of everybody. But he realizes before he gets executed that he's been killing this whole society because the world has moved on and they've evolved and he is not evolved. Like he's this, this like monster of the past who's like killing children and killing families. And he realizes that he needs to die because he is what's holding the future back. And so she like sneaks him in a cyanide pill and he puts a cyanide pill in his mouth and he says, I am legend. Like that's the last thing he says and he swallows it. So like, it's a great fucking twist on the book because you're like really feeling for the guy the whole time. Then you realize like he's the monster at the end. They're not the monsters. Like the whole world evolved. He didn't evolve with it. So he's the monster that needs to go. And when you watch I Am Legend, like you get these clues that the infected people are getting smarter. And I think there's a few comments to it, but it never pays off. So it made me so fucking furious when I watched it. And then they didn't have the ending because he just like cares everybody and like they never explore that they get that they're getting smarter or anything. And uh, so apparently they had done that ending and it just didn't test well, which is why they went with the ending they went with. But. Like I, I thought that was pretty interesting, but it's nice to hear the director say we should have just done the book because I've been saying this for a long time. Like we're in a place where if they go to do that movie again, I would really like to see it just straight up as the book. You know, I don't care if you put it in America instead of Great Britain and modernize it, but like the story is so fucking good that it spawned three movies now and all three movies have changed the ending. <laughs> it's time to give the ending that like made the book so memorable, I feel like, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I, I try not to get on my soapbox about that anymore, but when you get a direct quote like that, it was hard to avoid. God, I, I feel like we talked about that way early on in the yeah, podcast. We definitely have. More than a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime that movie comes up, I, I feel like I got to bring it up. But um, So William Shatner was asked on Twitter if he'd be in the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. So keep in mind, this is just a Twitter question when he says this. But he said, uh, depends on the script, but if it's good, then absolutely, why not? So Shatner's in for the Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm sure he will not be in. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why would you put Captain Kirk in there? It doesn't make any sense. No. Especially like old ass William Shatner. Old. You know, I, so I was watching the Grammys the other day and I'll, I'll talk real quickly about that a little later. Anyways, like after the Grammys, like we still had it on CBS and I think it was CBS. Anyway, they, there's a show on there. It's like, uh, Terry Bradshaw, William Shatner, a couple of, a couple older, like other old guys, like somebody from Mash, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> shit, it could be. Like I, I watched about two minutes. I'm like, I'm done with this. <laughs> um, but they travel around the world, and it's it's stupid. Like it's literally <laughs> stupid. Um, but that was the first time I'd seen the Shat in years. Oh, really? <laughs> I guess I don't know. I see him a lot. <laughs> But I hear him in interviews and stuff, and I don't know. <sighs> Have you seen that movie, The Captains, yet? No. Dude, you need to sit down and watch that at some point. It is 
fucking hilarious. It's like this. It's on. I think it's still on Netflix, but it's a William Shatner documentary where he talks to every single person who's played a starship captain and or like one of the lead captains in all the shows. So like nothing from Discovery because this is before Discovery, but everything else. And uh, it's so funny because like he'll talk to him and he's actually like opening up and they're saying interesting things. But then he just can't help but like hog the camera and talk <laughs> about himself. And so it's really like fun to watch because it's just like he can't help but be himself and be like so conceited while he's like doing this whole thing. It's, it's like really entertaining on like a level that it's not supposed to be entertaining, but it absolutely is. But like he hangs out with James Avery from Deep Space Nine, who's like a really good jazz musician. So you get to see him playing some piano and stuff. And I was like, oh, I had no idea he had these skills. He's like fucking solid ass piano player, too. But he, he talks with all of them, including Chris Pine, which is fun because when I went to watch Chris Pine, I'm like, oh, he's going to like handle this like he's an adversary. But he doesn't at all. He's like super respectful. So that was even surprising because... Like he was able to keep his ego in check a little bit, but then like just started still talking about himself. So yeah, he shat he shattered the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> Okay. So there's an upcoming DC streaming service, which I don't remember if we talked about or not, but apparently it's gonna have a show called Metropolis, made by the creators of Gotham. That will show the city before Superman shows up because we haven't learned our lesson about this. fuck. Yeah, Lex Luthor and Lois Lane will serve as the main characters. So Why? You're asking the wrong person, dude. (laughs) Because I tried with Gotham and I, I could not get into it. And the idea that they're making another show and making it about like a Superman show without Superman fuck that dude <laughs> don't need god, it don't why? want it god the superhero mo- shows are doing so well yeah why do you want to do all these superhero shows where you're just like but the superhero's not there just the specter of the superhero i mean come. we're gonna get team flash without flash <laughs> 10 years before no, I don't want to watch that. I want to watch the fucking Flash. <laughs> Are you having a problem with Dibney being the main character there? <laughs> no, that it's just, that's just terrible. That's just like whoever like I want like him to whoever pitched that series to DC and got it greenlit. I need to hire that guy to sell some stuff. <laughs> I like the idea of the Flash without Flash, though, because, like, right now they're doing it, but he's in prison, so you still get a little bit of Flash, you know? Yeah. But um, I like the idea that they do, like, Central City, and they're just like, if only there was a hero who could act really fast and get all this stuff cleaned up, like, really fast. <laughs> Quit dreaming, Rook. <laughs> We're just police work. <laughs> then they just hang on them doing paperwork all day while Captain Cold is like freezing them. And they're just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> if only I could act a hundred times faster. <laughs> <laughs> Central City would be great. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. I can't support it. Um, okay, let's talk about the Ant-Man and Wasp trailer. Yeah. So what'd you think? 
I am really looking forward to that. Um, I thought from what I saw in the trailer and, you know, it's really hard to tell what they're going to do, but they're really playing with like changing the size of things really quick. Yes. Um, I mean, much more than they did in Ant-Man. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was they did some towards the end, but they... Like the like, creepy train at the end. Yeah. The toy train that's just, like, looking left to right. Yeah. But, I mean, they showed in the trailer, like, this... They're being pursued, so they shrink the van in there, and, like, they fly over... Or they drive over them, and then they resize the van and just flips the other one off onto its roof, and... Or how Hank Pym has that building that he just like shrinks down. Pulls out like a suitcase. (laughs) Suitcase lever to it. (laughs) It's so crazy. Like, I think they're really playing with the stuff in Ant-Man I want them to play with. Yeah. Yeah, me too. No no show of Michelle Pfeiffer. We know she's going to play the original Wasp. So, Uh, that's... Yeah, but... I, I'm in. It looks like it's going to be fun. Yeah, so. it should be fun. I mean, the 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 joke they had where uh, they're trying out wasp suit, and she's like, <laughs> "They get you gave her wings and blasters." Yeah, so you just is. so you just got this technology. No, no. I had it before. <laughs> <laughs> just it didn't feel like using it or something like that. <laughs> That was really funny. I like that. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be fun. Uh, it looks like it's going to be set after like Infinity War 2 from everything I was reading. So there'll be Infinity War Fallout as well. So I guess we know Ant-Man survives. <laughs> when does Infinity War drop? Dude, May. I think it's like May 8th. Like we so have it's Black- going to be a couple weeks after we got Black Panther in like a week or two, two weeks because it's I believe the fifteenth is the drop date on that. Okay, so you got Black Panther in like two weeks, and then Infinity War in May. So yeah, that seems to be a Marvel move lately. They do like one around this time of year, and then one in like May, and then one in the summer. So yeah, I don't know. Actually, yeah. they're kind of all over the map. They always have like a May release, it seems like. But yeah, because they usually do right around May fifth. Is and the only reason I or like May fourth, May fifth, that May the fourth be with yeah, you. yeah. They always go for the nerd date. Yeah, <laughs> but that's like that's usually one of the biggest uh, movies of the year. Is like early. That's May. usually their temple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, once once uh, Spider Man in two thousand one like dropped in May, they were just like, "Hey, we can start moving the summer movies back to May." So they do that, and now August is like kind of been their dumping ground, where like the yeah. stuff they're not sure of, they sort of drop in August. But that's even slowly changing now too, because they're figuring out people will go to the movies any time of year. Like the summer thing isn't the draw that it used to be. So you can have like a giant movie pretty much any time of year now, if it's the right movie, like Deadpool kind of reaffirmed that too. Yeah. It's like Valentine's day that it came out. Right. 
Um, I was in LA for that. <laughs> you know, I would like to see them drop more tentpole movies during the winter just because I live in Montana and I'd rather it's go. It's always to, winter. I'd rather <laughs> fucking go to the movies in the middle of winter than in the middle of summer. Yeah, I like it at all times of year. But I do like, like this summer, man, I went to something like 13 or 14 movies this summer. There's a lot of good movies out this summer, but it's like, I would have liked them spaced out over the year a little bit more, you know? Yeah. When You're I, not trying to make a decision for what to see, where you just like have that one where you're like, oh yeah, I definitely want to see that. Yeah, like right now, I... I'm terrible at not because I, I have a hard time watching independent movies in the theater. A because I don't know about them very much ahead of time, and then for I mean a lot of them are hit and miss. So I mean, I look I've looked at like the my Cinemark app lately, been like, oh well, I guess I'm not going to see a movie till Ant Man, <laughs> or not at Black Panther. That's yeah. Well, there's some good ones, man. Shape of Water. I definitely recommend that one. I think that's at the Loy right now. So that of all the movies I know of that are in the theaters right now in Helena, that's the one I'd go check out for sure. Yeah, and so. I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to the theater. I might go fishing instead. In the cold? Do some ice fishing. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just for sitcoms. <laughs> Well, you wanted to do some Grammy talk. Maybe we should do a little bit of Grammy talk here. Yeah, I got a little bit of Grammy talk. All right. Before you get into that, I just want to note the only thing I had about the Grammy is uh, Carrie Fisher won a Grammy for audio reading, uh, audio reading of the book, The Princess Diarist. So yeah, this is another memoir that she did. That was the one where like it, it was a big deal because uh, she revealed that she had that affair with Harrison Ford. When she was filming, uh, I don't know, like Empire Strikes Back, maybe. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so so it, so posthumously got a got a Grammy. She needs it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I do want to give a shout out to Foo Fighters for winning uh, Best Rock Song Yay. with the song "Run." I fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, you were talking about that I song. I love that the other song. Week. I was listening to it on the way over here today. Just because I I listen to it about every other day, maybe. <laughs> on some sort of media. Either I have it downloaded on my phone or I listen to it on vinyl or pop it on the YouTube. So I mean I that fucking song is so great. Anyway, I was watching the Grammys on Sunday and I had a thought, like, the Grammys are kind of a weird award show, if you think about it, that the people winning the awards have to work yeah, in order to get their award. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> like, because, I mean... Even if you don't win they have the award, you have to, like, perform a song very often. Yeah. So, I mean, usually the people that are performing at the Grammys are nominated for an award typically or have been in the past and so i was thinking do they pay the artists to perform at the grammys i'm gonna assume that they don't because it's free publicity and i think as a musician you just have to do shit for free 
it's just how it works. I think even on that level, you have to do shit for free. But I'm curious, what did you uncover? So I did some research, and I only found one website that actually like dug into that topic. And and then of course, this was eight years ago. I was talking about the 2010 Grammys. Can you source it? Uh, it was Black Entertainment or something like that. I don't have the website up anymore, but okay. um. They were. They did some research. The artists performing on the Grammys do not get paid a dime. Yeah, you know what? Like, but what they usually see is artists that perform on the Grammys usually see a 150 to 200 percent bump in sales on their records. Yeah. After the Grammys, so I mean they end up making money after that. Um, yeah, it's one of those. It's it's free advertising, dude. It's exposure yeah. for people that might not see the, it. The the crazy thing is the uh, the people that really make bank on the Grammys are the people that produce the albums that are nominated for Grammys. Um, typically, um, a Grammy winner or your average producer. I mean, we're talking big name. Yeah. Producers uh, are usually making thirty-five to fifty thousand dollars per track. Wow. Um, on an album when they're producing, if they're nominated for a Grammy, it goes uh, seventy upwards of seventy-five thousand dollars. Like they can bump their fees up to seventy-five thousand per track. If they win a Grammy, it usually goes over a hundred thousand per track. Wow. I remember reading, um, and this was like maybe three or four years ago, but there was this guy, he was this middle-aged guy and, uh, nobody knows him really. Like, I, like artists know him, but like the comp, the, the public doesn't really know him, but it's this like middle-aged white guy. And he had written 19 of the 20 top hits for the year. Like, just all, all, because they were all like R&B kind of hits for the most part. And like, he just over and over again wrote them. And if he didn't write them, like, he wrote like the backing track or something for it. So, like, 19 out of 20, like, that's a 95% hit rate. Yeah. And he was just like writing so many hits, but it was just like nobody had ever, like, nobody really knew this guy. But all the artists knew it. Like, you just go to talk to this guy, and he's got his finger on the pulse of, like, what to do. You know, it's sort of crazy when you get into... Like, I always care about songwriters. A lot of people don't. Like, they don't give any thought to who's the one who puts the words in the person's mouth who, like, actually sings them. But it's very often not the same person. And I don't yeah. think most people realize that. Like More often than not. Especially, I mean, it even... I mean, it as the time goes on, it becomes less and less. The person performing it does not write the music. Yeah, and it's there's a reason why that term singer songwriter is a term because it's not the norm. The yeah. norm is not singer songwriter. The norm is singer, and then you have a songwriter that you never hear about. You know. Well, I mean, it goes. I mean, but that goes back for a long Way time. Way back. Yeah. I mean, you like uh, Elton John. 
I mean, he never Bernie top and yeah, like Bernie wrote, wrote this everything. Yeah, and I did I ever go on the show about Bernie? Like, I actually learned about Bernie Top, and I was curious uh, how that came about. And so Elton John was just basically going through like different songwriters, and so he was going an album, and he wanted one. He wanted to do a concept album. It wound up being Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I think was the first one Bernie Toppin did for him. But he was he basically decided I want like one consistent songwriter. So he did a contest in Great Britain and like just had him send him lyrics and Bernie Toppin like wrote something and he loved it. Like cause Bernie Toppin at that point was just a poet. And so like he brought him in and like one of the most successful songwriters in history, but he wrote most of Elton John's lyrics from that point forward. And Elton John would like write everything else. That's the thing. Elton John still wrote. It's just like lyrics wasn't his forte, you know. So yeah. you bring in you bring in Toppin to like, you know, write all these lyrics and then like to go with the songs that he was working on. But um yeah, it's kinda interesting. The 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 person behind the person, you know. So one last thing to close out the Grammys. The other interesting fact I found when I my research was uh all of the nominees plus, or the nominees, and I believe it's other people in attendance, go home with a gift basket, which typically pushes, and this was 2010 numbers, was 50000 So, I mean, it's probably sixty sixty five thousand dollars $65,000 worth of swag. Yeah, usually like the new iPhone or like... <laughs> yeah, whatever the new device is, uh airline tickets uh vacation rentals and like fiji and that kind of shit i mean it's i, I know top-notch shit i know I'd some prob- beats by dre i know i'd probably bring this show back to the sopranos way more than i should but there was this episode i think it was in the last season of the sopranos i think it was part one of the last season because it was over two years but uh christopher goes to la to try and get this movie made because this is like a big through line with The Sopranos is uh, Tony's nephew, Christopher, is always trying to write a script and always trying to do these things. And so he goes to Hollywood and at one point, like he runs into Ben Kingsley and he realizes he's got this like really nice gift basket. And so uh, and he sees all the stuff that's in the gift basket and it's like $50,000 worth of stuff. And he's just like, huh, you can tell it sort of like makes an impression on him. So he's trying to get the script made and like Ben Kingsley is like giving him the lead, like the, the runaround and stuff and all of these people. And so finally he sees, uh, I think it was like Lauren Hutton is like, or yeah, I think it's Lauren Hutton is like getting a gift basket and she's on the red carpet and he fucking, puts a nylon stocking over his face and like punches her in the face and takes her gift basket and (laughs) runs off with it. Like, and Ben Kingsley sees him like put the stocking on and is just like suddenly scared because he gave him the runaround and stuff. And then they're on a plane together at the end of the episode. And he's (laughs) just like so uncomfortable. That's funny. (laughs) It's fucking great. Yeah. You know what else is kind of crazy? Like just, coming back to the gift basket thing because they have to pay taxes on the gift baskets they get yeah dude and they should that's a lot well, of fucking money in i that mean basket. that's more than i make in a year yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so don't feel bad for these artists for that. Like, they're doing okay on the Grammys. Like, they're making money by being on the Grammys. Uh, It was just, like, a weird thought because I was like, you don't see, like, actors, like, they don't perform Macbeth at, like, (laughs) during the Oscars. At the Oscars. I mean, just that same sort of thing. But you have Grammy, like, the artists that are up for the awards, they perform at the show. I was like, I wonder if they got paid for that. No. I mean, no, but yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those complicated... But I will say, like, playing music, something I've learned the hard way over and over again, is, like, you are playing shows for free all the fucking time. And when you're not playing for free, you're getting fucked half the time, if not over half the time. Like, they're finding a way to pay you less money, or they're like, or you're splitting or it in an like, extra way than you they fuck your, They fuck you around till three o'clock in the morning because they had to close out the till and just fucking yeah. with you. Oh, I'll, I'll give a specific story if, if anybody's curious about what it's like being a musician because I don't really have anything. Indiana Jones 5 is getting made. It's going to be 2020. Yeah, well, There's really nothing to that story, but... Uh, so there you go. There's the last of the news. But if you're curious on like what it's like being a musician, so I'll give a, a very specific example. I'll just name out the place because I'm probably never going to play there again. But um, when I used to play music, we would play at this place called the Filling Station oh, in Bozeman. <laughs> so the you know I I enjoyed watching music there, but I I felt bad for the people who performed at that place because. I've heard some fucking horror stories of that. Yeah, place. and I can say this because like I'm not playing music anymore. So the, what I say doesn't reflect on anybody else on the network. Some of some of whom are musicians who play. So and this have has, played at the filler. Yeah, so this has nothing to do with them. This is just me personally talking. But uh, I played with a with a couple of bands there, like four different bands there, and. Uh, one of the things they do on the regular is they like br- they would bring you in for Friday night, which is like the busy night. They would have a free keg for people when they walked in. Okay? So like they would always advertise it on the on the on the flyer like and with the like free beer and all this and it was like the shittiest beer usually it was like high life or something like high that. life natty light or yeah. just garbage keg beer. of awful beer but what they would do is they would collect money at the door so like they would pay like everybody had to pay like two bucks three dollars usually yeah. yeah and uh and so they'd come in and pay. So out of that money, there was typically three bands that would play. Okay. So let's say like a typical rake on the door would be like maybe $300 yeah. on a Friday night. Okay. So you have $300. Now, before you see that $300, you have to pay for that keg out of the money from the door. So there goes a third of it. Buck and a quarter probably. So it's it's about $80 for that keg, I'd say. So yeah. now you're talking 220 now that 220 gets split between three bands. <laughs> so you're talking somewhere around 70, 70 bucks a band. Yeah. Now, depending on how many members of the band, like for me, very often it was four members of the band. Sometimes it was more, but very often four members. So now you're talking, you're getting like 1750 for the whole that night. That doesn't like, buy a tank of gas from here to both. No, it doesn't. And that's the thing. And you have to drive here too. Now, on top of that, they wait until like they do last call at like one thirty. They get everybody out by one forty-five, and then maybe twenty minutes after that, you finally get paid. So you have to stick around till two fifteen. You've already played like 
maybe three hours earlier and you're just waiting around, which is also a tactic that they do because they want you to buy as much beer as possible when you're in there. <laughs> so like that money's gone. You've already like lost gas money to get down there. And then on top of it, the filling station had a thing where like if you played at the filling station, you weren't allowed to play at other venues. Like, I'm not going to say that across the board and I don't know who the management there is. So they might have a different policy, but I know there was certain bars we were not allowed to play. in if we ever wanted to play at the filling station again, so we would get gigs at the filling station consistently, but we weren't allowed to like play around Bozeman. It really fucking sucked, man. And that's like, that's not a rare thing. That's like a common bar practice right there. So like, even when you get paid, you fucking get paid shit half See, the time. And that's what, when I was thinking about the Grammys, that's kind of the stuff that, like, like really sunk in my head. Like, God, they fuck over musicians bad. Yeah, it's just kind of how it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, even if you're at the top of the list, they're still, like, screwing you somewhat. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I, I don't... Was I talking about this on the podcast the other day? But your typical record contract, um, you get like a typical record contract, you get 8% of the the profit, not the gross, the profit. The profit. Right? But before you get that 8%, they recoup whatever it costed to make the album. So like you said, like you're paying the producer, you're paying for the studio time, you're paying for like the pressing. If you're staying in yeah, the pressing, if you're staying in hotel rooms, going there, like airfare to like go to the studio, all of that stuff. Like all like all of that stuff you're paying for before you even see your end of the profit, which is eight <laughs> percent. So it's like it's it's always been that game. And like the thing with music is like for people who don't think it's an art form, like it is, and it's an art form in that like you don't get paid a lot. Like most musicians are losing money hand over fist because the equipment. I would say most, like with the capital M. Dude, I I needed a washer, like a fucking washer for my congas, and like I was looking it up for like that particular conga and it was like $20 for a washer. This is going back like a while, but it was like $20 for a washer. I'm like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. And so I went to a hardware store and I found one that would work for like 15 cents. Yeah. But because it's a musical thing, they just like, they up how much they charge for it. So it just, it is what it is. Like, um, I'm not saying cry for artists or anything. That's not what I'm saying at all. But like, definitely when you find one you like, like support, like support them. Like if you see somebody nationally, like buying their albums is cool, but they're probably never going to see a penny of that. Like show up to their shows. They actually make money in their shows and buy merch because they make money off of the merch. You know, the album sales, they don't really make much off of that. So um, I would say, like, nowadays, I would say artists probably make jack shit next as far as, like, album sales. Yeah, but I think they make more than they used to, your typical artist, because so I would many say more they probably, doing them independently. I would say they probably make more than they did 10 years ago, because mm-hmm. they, I mean, with iTunes and... Uh, Spotify. Like Amazon and Spotify. Oh, dude, dude! If you want, here's here's a good thing. If you if you like, we had a good life. You want to support it? 
Like aside from hitting that donate button, hit the donate button. Just fucking listen to the Tonight We Ride album over and over and over again on Spotify. Dub was mentioning a while ago. Uh, so they have an album that I recorded with Dub, but I mean Dub did like a thousand times more work on it. Than hey, I'm I credited on that album. Are you really? Yeah, just in the thank you notes for the. It was the first Tonight We Ride album, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, of the West? Yeah, of the West. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dub just finally got like a $50 check from him for an album that <clears throat> he put up in like 08. <laughs> when I was still with the band. So 10 years ago, he finally got that $50 check. So if you like Tonight We Ride, just fucking blast that album over and over again. Go to bed, start playing it. Like, just every night you go to bed, even if you're not listening to it, just play it on Just silent. put it on mute and hit silent. <laughs> <laughs> play it over and over again. That's right. How about dub? Make a Spotify playlist with 10 Tonight We Ride songs and play it over and over. By the way, I think you'll like it if you listen to it. It's a really dude, solid I, album. Dude, I still bump Tonight We Ride. Yeah. I, like, drank myself into oblivion. <laughs> that that Dude, I was listening to that two days ago. Maybe I'll end the show on that song. Fuck it, dude. I'm in that band. I can play it anytime I fucking want. <laughs> I'm going to end with that song. So take it easy. I'm going to drink myself into oblivion. I'm going to get so fucking drunk I shit the bed Either
Movies with Restless? Green Lantern's Light? ASL Adventures? In a Dimensional Exchange Association? Is this yours? No, your I- Your mother said she found them on your phone. I don't know, a guy must, must have, have- what? Look, Dad, they're not mine. Alien Movie Project? We Had a Good Life? Montucky Skies? Real Roulette? Where'd you get it? Dad- Answer me. Who taught you how to listen to this stuff? You alright? I learned it by watching you! Parents that use podcasts have children that use podcasts. Brought to you by the partnership of the Not Safer Network.